Welcome everybody to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Professional Wrestling History, and a writer on the Segunda Caída blog and The Ringer. I am pleased to be joined by an old compatriot of mine from the Death Valley Driver message board from, I don't know, 20-odd years ago. He's a writer on uh, Superstore and The Office, uh, Owen Ellickson, and an internet and a Twitter, uh, I think, legend. Twitter asshole, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter icon, uh, Twitter guy. Twitter, um, Twitter exhausting person. No, I, I, I sort of how I re, uh, you got back on my radar, I think this is probably how you got on a lot of people's radar, is you, uh, in... 2016, you had this long-running, like, Baroque series of tweets uh, doing this very, very funny, like, wouldn't it be hilarious if Trump won the election shtick, where you had, like, multiple characters, and I remember Chris Christie, you just called him the whole, it almost, like, felt almost like a Bloom County uh, thing, and then he won, and it was like we you we teleported us right into the fucking nightmare for four years. <laughs> At least partially blame you know three percent blame you for the entire. Oh, thing. absolutely, as did many people. Yeah, no, you you identified the flaw in what I was doing. I was basically the thesis of that was, lol. Can you imagine? And in fact. I should have imagined a little harder than I did. <laughs> Could so. it be hilarious if this Doomus became president? No, actually not uh, that hilarious. Jesus. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I am a little sheepish about having done that, but uh, blue checks live forever, baby. <laughs> so <laughs> whatever gets you there. All right. Uh, we are here uh, to talk um, at least partially, probably about uh, a, a myriad of other things unrelated to this, but we're to talk about Sergeant Slaughter versus the Iron Sheik boot camp match from uh, the WWE June 16th, 1984. Um, so I, this, uh, you, you, I think mentioned to me when we were sort of going back and forth about, about the match you were picking that you rated, uh, ranked this number one on the uh, DVDVR 80s WWF set, which was the first one. And I think was at that point, like people sent me DVDs and then I sent them back things. It was like a complete clusterfuck. Like was, putting it together, like a hundred percent a mess. And the and the video quality wasn't great, and the matches were very haphazardly put apart. The later things we did got to be much more professional. This was just a a complete uh, thrown together thing. But I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't have changed a thing about it. I actually. Recently was sort of like I'm an older older gentleman now. I got kids. We've got to make some room in the house, so I decided I had to scale back on my wrestling DVDs. And I uh, was like, "What is the sort of minimum number that I can live with?" It. It ended up being something like 207. <laughs> but uh, but those those made the cut. The uh, the WWF. DVD, VR, 80s, and the other Japan 80s. I think those are the two sets. And then maybe after that, it stopped being Destiny. I don't remember. But um, I was like, I'm definitely holding on to these. These are insane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we ended up doing like six or seven of them. Uh, yeah. Total. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, have a, I still have a bunch of DVDs sitting in my uh, basement uh, somewhere, even though I have not had a working 
uh, way to play any of those DVDs in, I don't know, 10, 5, five 6, 7 years. Like, I haven't had a DVD player. Like, I don't have a DVD player on my computer. I don't have, like, owned a DVD player. So these, these things are legitimately just a thing that irritates my wife every time she comes across them in the basement. And, you know, I, I, at this point, you know, pretty much all wrestling media is... is you know, digital, yeah. right? I, I have, you know, on YouTube or Dailymotion, I've got multiple uh, dark web Google drives that have all, <laughs> that have everything. I'm like, you know, you don't have to actually, you don't need physical media of any kind at all anymore. I still, I still have a lot of books. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the la- my last vestige of physical media as I own, I don't know, I, thousands I, of books. I'm a, even beyond wrestling, I'm a sucker for the DVD format. There's something about the menu. I still feel like it's a little glamorous. So I'm, I'm the last guy on that hill. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this is what happens. We're officially old people. And yeah. uh, this is the world has passed us by. And uh, it's fine. We're okay. I'm okay with that. I, I, it was only like three years ago that I threw out. I would... I found ECW in 95. It would air at 1 a.m. on Sundays on the MSG network. I, I was in Connecticut at the time. And uh, I would like very fastidiously watch a segment and then during the commercial decide if I thought it was a keeper or not and then rewind to just record. Oh, sure. So I had kind of curated the episodes bit by bit and I had those videotapes as late as something like 2018. <laughs> I, that's definitely how I started as a kid when I got a VCR, when I, you know, just taping like WCW and superstars and Saturday night live and like in living color where I would make mixtapes of that too. Like this was, this was a funny Dana Carvey sketch. This was not so funny of a Dana Carvey sketch. I had all of these tapes. You know, I I was that kind of lunatic even before, well, I got into tape trading my parents had tons of just tapes labeled wrestling, just sitting in their living room furious at me uh so i mean i was uh, i always had that same sort of like weird quasi obsessive brain that ended up me being like a tape like the, a guy who made like mixtapes you know not yeah. professionally certainly isn't the right word but i actually made a fair amount i made a decent i i paid a lot of bar tabs in my 20s oh just bootlegging tapes i mean that was like how i you know temping and bootlegging tapes was how i was paying my rent and food Schneider Comp 4 was uh, a real Rosetta Stone for me. I love, fucking love 4. <laughs> 4 That's was fun. a good one. 4 was, uh, I think, around the point where I really started getting a lot of different footage. I think before that, it was mostly just shit I taped off TV or, yeah. like, from the Japanese video store near my house. And, like, 4 was the point where it really was like, okay, now the world is my oyster. I got 1, 2, and 3 to deal around the world to pick up everything else. And it's like, you know, now I need to watch it all. At some point, uh, Dean started getting tapes from Japan uh, from this guy, Glenn, who would send send him, I don't know, like, like all of the Japanese TV. This is mid-90s stuff. You know, like 96, 97, would just send him, you know, like this is making a pro, this is Gaia, this is FMW, this is whatever, Battle Arts, and just would get, you know, every month he would send, send it to Dean and then Dean would tape it and kind of pass it around. Yeah. So at that point, I really started to get, you know, I got all this stuff, man. I, I there is something, I, it makes me just such the old, like, record store guy, but like, I miss the hunt a little bit. I, I only did a little bit of training, like, I was mainly a receiver, but, um, but there was something fun about having to find some motherfucker. <laughs> right. <laughs> something that you yourself wanted to see. Yeah, it's like I got to make a deal. There's, you're always making deal. I mean, I was, 
I was relatively easy to deal with. Like, if you said you wanted to trade for me with, for something, I'd be like, all right, I'll find something to you. And, and 97% of the time, I'd send you the tapes that you told me you were going to send. I wouldn't say it was 100% of the time, but 97% of the time, you'd get tapes for me. I wasn't. Right. But oh. every once in a while, you'd get a person who was really a real fucking pain in the ass. Like, they'd be the one guy that would have this match or this tape. And they would just be like, no, I, you know, I can't. Do you have any British wrestling from the mid '80s? I got this thing from '85. That thing. It's like, like you suddenly have to be, you get into real fucking negotiations with a real persnickety asshole. But it's like, oh, fuck, I gotta get this. Nobody else has this fucking thing, so he's the guy. I gotta just fucking deal with him. And I gotta. It, it, it has to be Bret Hart in his cowboy gimmick. Yeah, that's, that's the only thing I'll accept. <laughs> now you're right. No, it's true. I mean, it's that that is that is the thing. Right now, there is no everything available is available. Right, every song you ever that was recorded for the most part. I mean, not everything, but you know, like it's hard to find a song that you want to hear that you can't hear immediately. Right, it's hard yeah. to find a wrestling match you want to watch that you can't watch immediately. Hard to find a movie you can always get your hands on a movie or a TV show. There is there is no hunt. It's all available, and you know that's mostly good. But there is something yeah. to be said about okay, I got this. I got the tape coming. Let me, you know, let me brag about it. Let me call, you know, call up my friends who, you know, are in this town I'm in and, you know, all right, post bar at one thirty in the morning. We're going to watch this fucking food tent tape I just got. <laughs> Strap it up. Let's go. Uh, I love it. I mean, to, to segue to the match at hand, I mean, Slaughter Sheik, which is one of my favorite matches ever from WWF slash E, um, it's a weird, like, rare match that feels like it has that kind of, like basement dinge on it that it feels like you have to kind of rustle it up a little bit from WWF, which is, you know, usually their stuff is so sort of shiny and like front forward. But I remember in the, when we were going through all that 80s stuff on death Valley driver, the video quality was shit. Like it's, there's now a good recording out there. I assume it's on the network. I don't know. I haven't been on the network in a long time, but um, there's something just about those old MSG shows, just a little bit dirty uh, that, it really kind of appeals to me. Yeah, like you know, or this is '84. I mean, the stuff a little earlier than that really does feel like you know, uh, you know, New York City. You know, like Scorsese, New York City. Yeah, it's like real filthy. You know, like you know, where, where Times Square didn't have an Eminem score; it just had fucking disgusting <laughs> pornography, right? Like, you know, what's the what's the David Simon show? Um, the oh. Deuce. Some of it felt like the, you know, a lot of the stuff, especially, I think 84 was right around the part where they really were starting to shine it up. Um, right? WrestleMania was 85. Yeah. No, this was, Hogan was already champ. I mean, this almost feels like Times Square's last stand, this match. Like, there is, like, the last ugliness before they, like, cleaned it all up for good. Yeah. Uh, and there's just such glory in it. I This is a random aside, but I went to, uh, uh, you've probably heard of Lucha Vavum. Sure. Yeah, there are these. It's like a lucha show, but kind of the the luchadors are really phoning it in. And there's a, there are a couple stand ups doing comedy over the live PA, so there's kind of comedy happening simultaneously, and there's burlesque dancing in between. Cassandro, uh, from what I heard, he never mailed it in. These other guys might mail it in. Cassandro yeah, showed no, no, up. Cassandra, actually, Cassandro was the star of the show. Like Cassandra, Cassandra brought his working boots. So nobody else did on the show I went to. It's, I mean, it's kind of a wrestling show for people who don't like wrestling. You sure. know what I mean? There's something almost apologetic about it. The show I went to, there was a mask versus mask match, but it was 
a guy named Neutron Jr. It was basically two old gimmicks that had been revived for the purpose of showing hipsters a mask versus mask match in wrestling. I mean, in some ways, that's a that is a legitimate lucha libre tradition. Exactly. <laughs> like, no. like, you know, John, you'll get, get to like IWRG or something, and they'll be setting up a ten man cage match. And it was like mask match. Was like oh, that fucking guy hasn't been there for five oh. years. Okay, I know who's losing. Yeah. No, I think I think the guy who got unmasked was uh, a medico assassino, one of a cast of hundreds. <laughs> but so they they do the match. Uh, the Rudo loses. Everybody's booing and having fun. He's kind of acting like he won't take off his mask. Classic, you know, shaking his head and the crowd boos. Neutron Jr., the babyface, gets on the mic and in broken English says, this guy's a coward, don't you think? And everybody says, yeah! And then he says, don't you think he's a... And then he uses a homophobic slur. And this is a, a crowd of hipsters. And so it goes from, yeah, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Neutron Jr., completely misreading the room, then tries to get a chant going of that homophobic slur. <laughs> Will this be the traditional lucha homophobic slur of, or the no, or a the, the English one? Okay, Jesus. So, uh, a very ugly moment, but part of me, in a dark way, sort of loved it because I was like, "This is my wrestling. Wrestling is irredeemable. <laughs> like." Clean it up as much as you want, and something ugly will still happen, and that's what it's for. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, exactly. You guys, you guys have all these. You guys thought this is cute. You got a parasocial relationship with Effie, but well, yeah. you know what? Fucking wrestling is for pieces of shit, and it's not. Exactly. <laughs> sorry, and it's exactly. just is. And you know, like, and you can, you can, uh, you can uh, buy all the cameos from Nick Cage you want, but the fact is, Nick Cage will, is still a, you know. Fucking scumbag drug addict who's taking your money <laughs> for me. Thanks to some real people. Yeah. yeah no, I, I I brought several friends to that show, and it was kind of a quiet drive back. And part of me was just delighted. And what? this kind of reminds me of that. This is Vince is cleaning it up. You know, these guys were already in a cartoon. Slaughter was going to be in GI Joe just a couple months later. But this is just ugly. I mean, it's Gorilla and Mean Gene doing commentary. Like it's so good. <laughs> it's one of the most violent, like some of the most realistic choking you've ever seen in a match. It is fantastic. I, I wrote my, in in my book, uh, Wave the Blade, available at Amazon. I wrote in this book that this was like just absolute major key wrestling like this was everything in this was like was the volume was turned to 11 on all of it right super jingoistic every punch the guy flew backwards right Absolutely. and it's like i'm reading my review again right before this match and i was talking about you know like how mostly i prefer minor key wrestling and i think what a fucking jackass i am i'm really gonna talk about pro wrestling something where people i you know i prefer the album tracks you know like oh, <laughs> fuck you phil the, the, the point is it's supposed to be goddamn wild and outrageous and over the top and you know okay Right, I right, I well, I, you know, I prefer something a little more subtle. Yeah, I'm an asshole. Yeah. But this is this is what it should be, right? Sergeant Slaughter should be showing a punch, punch, and fucking Iron Cheek should be flying back thirty feet in the air. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like I'm trying to think of the director. I'm not a Zack Snyder guy, but I think it is what people like about Zack Snyder. Like he believes in the shit in this really deep, corny way or something. <laughs> like. Yeah, it, it it is not a match with a lot of subtleties. I mean, there there are some great moments. Uh, Slaughter has this one kidney punch to sort of escape a chic onslaught, like two thirds of the way through. That 
feels really like there's no there's no kind of hulking up. There's no fiery comeback, which he had in some of their earlier matches. Mm-hmm. It's just he's in an emergency and he needs to get away from this guy at several points in a way that I like. Um, but what you say is true. I mean, most of the transitions are real like ham bone falls to the floor. <laughs> um but, yeah, I, it may be that in my viewing fandom, I'm a little bit more of a dilettante than I'm used to be. Give me those major keys, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all right. I think I, this is a book I like. You know, wrestling's best when it's Rocky 1, but sometimes you want it to be Rocky 4, and this is Rocky 4. Eh, maybe yeah. it's maybe it's best when it's Rocky 4. I'm no, wrong about well, I, that. I, 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 like, watching this again, I was like, yeah! This, <laughs> this. It's a very simple, you know, <laughs> part of it is just like, my my i believe you have young kids as i do yeah. and basically my only criteria for a movie is be less than 95 minutes if you accomplish <laughs> that you i'll i'll vote for you for any award and this is a this is a match like it's very hammy but there's no throat clearing they just fucking get right in there yeah. uh, and it's i a 16 minute match just does the job for me sure. uh, when it has this this cuz this has enough of a body of violence because there is no feeling out. It's and their previous MSG match is the same thing. Sheik just charges in and attacks Slaughter, and it's just yeah. on. Um, I I don't know. I feel like they convey hate very well, even though they manifest it in like very corny on the nose sort of. Sure. Way. I mean, it, it's so funny that when you think about '84, uh, the Sheik is still doing an Iranian gimmick, right? Like the Tosses yeah. Crisis was five years before that, right? Like, I just think by 84, like, array, I mean, I don't remember 84 very well. It was seven or something like that when this match was going on. But, you know, I just feel like at that point, this was, you know, the way the WWE is always, you know, always five years behind any trend. The fact that they were doing, uh, you know, doing this super Iranian heel, you know, well past the point, uh, you know, where, where, I mean, at some point, certainly in American history, Iran was, the focal point of of the attention of the United States, right? There were hundred percent, you know, people beating up Iranian medical students in nineteen eighty. I don't know if they were doing it in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, no, I mean, it it is telling that even WWF after this feud, they were like, we better uh, staple this guy to a Russian, just kind of <laughs> <laughs> get it a little closer to where the pulse is. Right, certainly the. The long historical uh, relationship between the Soviet Union and Islamic Iran. Two guys, they both hate America. I mean, that's a classic thing. There's just foreigners, what are you going to do? You just don't like America, uh, and you're going to all be a group. (laughs) They're united by not being us. All the other differences really are trivial. That's right, exactly. They probably don't even know. (laughs) Um, I also love the fact that at some point they brought back the Iron Sheik and just made him Iraqi. Uh, like six years after that, this is like you know, there those are, you know, the Iraqi <laughs> yeah. Iraqis don't like the United States. Iranians don't like the United States. You know who do, who likes each other much much less Iraqis than Iranians. I'm like actually surprised the Sheik did it right because he was like in some yeah. ways like an Iranian hero, right? He was a wasn't he like a he worked security for the Shah? I think yeah. I think that was that actually was a shoot. Like that was the rare apocryphal sounding thing that was actually true yeah it was crazy i it's fun to think of patterson or whoever it would have been 
trying to broach with Vince that <laughs> Iraq and Iran are maybe not, maybe it's not the most permeable membrane in the world. And certainly you can just put a Mexican and say he's Iraq. I mean, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if, for, I don't know if, uh, uh, Adnan Al-KC, who was the other guy in the thing, is yeah. even Arab at all, right? I mean, he could just be... Not that I'm aware of, yeah. He could be an Italian, right? But, I mean, there is something about, you know... People remember the Iron Sheik. He was a pretty yeah. meaningful part. It's not like he's a minor guy they brought back and re right? He was the world champion. He's the guy Hogan beat, right? Like, he's not a guy that we don't remember. Yeah. You know, it's a weird thing when you watch this because this was like the main event, you know, of a huge MSG show. The heat is unreal. You feel like these are two of the biggest stars in the world. And, like, they didn't do a ton in the couple years after. And I feel like there's a little bit of a – I know you're an NBA fan as I am. It feels a little bit like they're the Indiana Pacers and, like, you just deal with 30 years of Jordan and LeBron. (laughs) Like, (laughs) the the Hogan push just means – you can't get there. <laughs> so, right. I mean, the weird thing, funny thing about Slaughter was, right, like, he was the reason the AWA got the ESPN contract. It's true. Because yeah. they were like, because there were a bunch of different people were going for it, and they were like, oh, I've heard of Sergeant Slaughter, right? He's on, he's on G.I. Yeah. Joe. He win, you win, right? Like, Vern. Yeah. So in some ways, he was like a big star on ESPN when, when AWA had ESPN. I remember that was my, I started watching wrestling a little after this match. And certainly, I knew Slaughter as a guy from the Ada, from the cartoon, and a guy from the AWA, like a guy yeah. feuding with Baron von Raschke. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> he he did. He had enough heat to do something, but it just you know that that ship was already kind of sinking. Like he had a year or two there, and it's just like the Hogan spot was. It, it's like Jordan or LeBron. Like they're just greedy. You can't win the East like one time. You never ever get the East. <laughs> you know what? You don't ever get it. It's fine. You know you that one. The one. Uh, you have that one season uh, with like where uh, you've got like Paul George and Lance Stevenson doing weird uh, yep. fo- photo shoots with their shirts off, and uh, <laughs> that's the best you're gonna get. Yeah, exactly. I uh, <laughs> I played uh, I played pickup basketball for many many years in Washington D.C. at the Equinox and. I had like a bunch of, it was kind of a, like it was, you know, the place where you'd have like, and you know, NBA players would be staying at the Ritz there. And so you sometimes would have NBA guys either, you know, working out or even occasionally playing in the uh, gym. I got uh, dunked on by Juan Hernan Gomez once. Um, (laughs) Who's actually the co-star of the new Adam Sandler uh, sports film. Juan Hernan Gomez. uh, Glow up. My close personal friend, Juan Hernan Gomez, who probably should have been working on his fucking jumper instead of dunking on people at a goddamn Equinox pickup. I got a 43-year-old at an Equinox pickup game. I'm (laughs) 5'11". Alright, whatever. That's, that's like I hold that personally. But uh, I remember the uh, this is really going off topic, but that's kind of where right. I remember right. the the rumor I heard and there was because there was you know, at these equal there were people who were like tangentially NBA connected. Right? A guy I think who worked for Clutch. There's another girl who was like a, a really good couple ex NBA guys who were much older. And the rumor I always heard about that Pacers team that that uh, Paul uh, Paul George uh, fucked Roy Hibbert's girlfriend. And and that was the, the what broke that team up because all of the players had lost, completely lost, kind of in a real fucked up toxic masculinity way, all yeah. lost respect for Roy Hibbert. 
Like he's like, oh, we don't fuck with Roy Hibbert anymore. He just let Paul George fuck his girlfriend, didn't do anything about it, and then you know tried to squash it and kind of like a pussy. And like so they all kind of turned on, and that was the reason that team kind of because that was a weird thing. Like Hibbert just was out of the league, like you know, a year and a half after being a dominant player. And I think apparently he was mentally broke by being. Oh, the rumor was mentally broke by being cuckolded by Paul George. Yeah, no, I think it was, I forget if it's 2013 or 2014, but they were getting the, like, Sports Illustrated cover-type push, and then all of a sudden, right around the All-Star break, to, to use a wrestling parlance, it seemed like they lost their smile in a very <laughs> abrupt kind of douchey way. And uh, I heard that, too, and that makes as much sense as anything. <laughs> okay, so, all right, so I, I've got, we've got some corroboration for the, uh, for, my, for the, so that makes it here, two people heard it, then it's true, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's how it works, yeah, right? So. Oh, it's, it's, a, no. it's established today on the Way of the Blade podcast, the reason oh, that Pacers God. team... It's, it's, it's probably, going on both men's Wikipedia pages I, I realize that, well, as I'm saying, this is probably something I shouldn't be saying as, like, an employee of The Ringer now. <laughs> Fuck. Like, I just realized I was doing this. It's like, I haven't had that job for very long, and that's just, I'm assuming Shoemaker, David Shoemaker's not going to listen to my fucking side podcast. I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this has got a lot of great... I'm getting off this topic now. This has got a lot of great blood in it, this match. This is a match with tremendous blood. Iron Sheik is a great bleeder because he has this, like, head that kind of looks like a uh, like a raisinette. And yes. like, so the blood always comes from, like, flows from, like, almost the top of it down over the face and the back and to the sides. Uh he- yeah, he, he has the look of a guy who has 30% more blood than he should have. So there's almost this beautiful catharsis when he can finally get some of it out. Oh my god, yeah, totally. And Slaughter's <laughs> obviously, you know, he's he's gross too. I mean, it, both, yeah. this is one of those, a lot of the matches in this book, you'll have like one incredible bleeding performance. And the other guy will either be like a curse, like a, you know, sympathetic blade job, but nothing like that. Or, you know, won't bleed at all. But this match is one where both... There isn't... You, nobody wins best bleeder in this. It is a glorious tie. A glorious tie, yeah. yeah. There's I, an interesting early... Uh, at, on Slaughter's first bump to the floor, Gorilla says, I think he's busted open. Just because he kind of, I guess, figured that was around the time of the match when he would be busted open. Absolutely not busted open. That was a funny <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, I... You know, again, as you say, it's all kind of very obvious moves, but it's one of those matches where the baby runs wild on the heel, heel cheats for a little bit, but the the blood is the escalation itself. It's not just sort of like, let's just add this in for atmosphere. It definitely is story. Like, we are now in much deeper water. How are we going to survive here? I mean, he basically starts bleeding off, like Slaughter doing like a diving stop to the top of his head. And yeah. he really bleeds from the top of his head. I don't know. Yeah. what a, It's such a, that is a really weird place to blade. But I always yeah. love when guys do weird blade. I mean, a weird place to blade is always one of my favorite I, things. I love a, you know, blading the, the tricep. Yeah. Blade the, you know, uh, I mean, I've, ta- I've talked about this on the Pot of Punch. You know, the all-time greatest one is the empty, uh, Parada Morgan's empty eye socket is the, oh, is the, is the, is the, you know, the Mount Rushmore of weird blades, right? Like <laughs> Vader would always like, play. I think in the strap match against Sting, Vader yeah. had uh, hardly raised blade his back. Uh, which looks really cool and, and gross, um, yeah. but yeah, the 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 sheik just like you know that like it's like he's wearing a he wears a wearing a blood yarmulke in this match is the way it kind of yeah, looks. No, I mean, he he had a 
this, you know, when he would do a back bump, he had this kind of spasm spot where he'd sort of jerk his head up and then pop back down, which I always thought was kind of a fun uh, spot. And when he bleeds, it's a crazy spot. You're like, this is disgusting. Yeah, he really does look like, oh, there are parts where it's like, oh, yeah, they, they should get like the those pants, those special pants you put on somebody when they're yeah. like, when they're bleeding, like the, the pressure pants, get the pressure pants for the Iron Sheet. Because he doesn't look, you know, it looks bad in this match. And, you know, yeah, and, uh, like I said, he, he uh, and uh, we got the great. I mean, there's a bunch of great things in this match. I mean, I the Iron Sheik curly boot. I mean, what a what a stupid thing, and what in the best way something in wrestling could be stupid is that he's got like he taps his boot and that activates a what? It's like it doesn't ever make any sense. Never make any. It didn't even make sense to me when I was like ten. Like I don't and, understand what what exactly is going on in his boot that him tapping it makes it dangerous. And uh, not, nothing I love more than a neutered ref and the haplessness of a ref being like, well, there's the boot with the thing in it. Oh, well, <laughs> let's well, see what happens. Well, the ref's so, on the, he's not even in the ring for most of this match. This is, you know, like, this is a boot camp match. The ref's just there to count three. Yeah, um, no, it's it, it, this match has something that I can't remember ever seeing in it, at least in a U.S. match, which. There are a couple points where Slaughter gets a big spot in and the crowd goes wild and trash hits the ring. There's like happy trash throwing. <laughs> there is happy trash throwing. I know, it's great. I mean, the, this is New York City in like the 1980s. People just throw fucking trash all over the place. You know, like this is, this is you know, this is the Curtis, uh, so, you know, the, the Curtis Siwa? Silva? Yeah. What the fuck is his name? This is that New York, right? This is, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's trash all over the place. No, People, that's right. It's like, <laughs> yes. Fucking there through trash in church. Or trash throwing. <laughs> I'm sure if they went to fucking church, there was just trash all over the fucking bottom floors of the church. They'd do a hymn, and then they rip the page out, and they'd scrunch it, and they'd throw it on the ground. Like, a, you know, a Coors Light and, and, you know, five Marlboro Red cigarette butts everywhere in New York. That's all that was there. Uh, yeah. You know. Right. It's just a, it, there's a real nice layout. I think... It's something like 13 minutes in until Slaughter just starts punching him straight on, just like straight right hooks to the face, kind of, you know, the punches you really want to see Slaughter hit. Like, for all the brawling, they they save stuff in a good way. Um, it's just, I mean, it is, yeah, it's pure shameless fan service. It's Michael Bay. Again, I don't know. What, right. no, it's, 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 director it's, comparisons are tedious. But. Right, but yeah, no, it's 100% that, right? It is. It is they don't. There's no, you don't, there, like I said, there's no, there, there is no subtlety in this, but like if you're going to do, and there's plenty of, I mean, that's the, you know, in some ways lack of subtlety, I think is the curse uh, of current professional wrestling, but this is the way you do lack of subtlety, right? This is how you're going to do it. If you're going to do it, you're going to just, you play to the crowd and you know, they, they have, they, everything is executed well. It's not like this is, you know, where the, where you can see a bunch of holes in what they're doing and the parts that aren't big. Right. No, that's right. And I think they they are a really good stylistic matchup in that they're both really big dudes, but they both like to get a little theatric when they bump. So it just kind of feels like they're speaking the same language. Like it's not one of those matches where guys sell in such different ways that there's a tiny bit of a disconnect. It just feels like this is a very coherent, like coherently violent match. Yeah. Know? And then Slaughter, I mean, is, you know, he digs. He does it. He takes the one huge slaughter. I mean, what a what a 
I was you know watching matches for this book. It's like I him a, a real appreciation of Slaughter as a guy who I don't think people think of as one of the great all time wrestlers, but is kind of one of the great all time wrestlers. Absolutely. Like you know, he's a guy who just doesn't get you know doesn't get that same sort of you know credit. You don't think of when you think of the great wrestlers of the nineteen eighties. You don't usually think of Slaughter, but you kind of should. And, you know, this one obviously I've got the final conflict in the book too, and yeah. he's just incredible in that. It's just like, hey, yeah. what a. You know, Ackland matches are great. I mean, it, it is to uh, to beat NBA analogies to the ground. It's you stay with one team your whole career, you're going to get overrated, like Damian Lillard or whatever. If you jump around, you, people won't be able to fully appreciate you. And I think Slaughter, he just didn't have quite a long enough run in the big show to be remembered in the way that he deserves to be because he was amazing. He was such an awesome worker. There's a moment where uh, Sheik tries to knock his head into the pointed boot in the corner he eventually gets it i mean he gets the pointed boot in the midsection and slaughter bumps on the post thus blading but slaughter's face while he's trying to fight fight that pointed boot is just like hambone wrestling acting at its best just he's really worried but you feel like he's in it and he's really fighting with this guy it's just so good he's such a good baby face it's you know it kind of reminds me of 94 WCW when Hogan was coming in and there was all this awesome stuff in WCW that just started fading away like the back to the future photo. <laughs> I mean like I, we're, I'm doing our next book is Dustin of the Day that's the next book I'm doing I'm doing it with Tom oh, that's, oh I'm so glad so we're, wow. you know we're, we're, we're and I'm so watching like a ton of that's you know the thing that I when I'm not doing things you know right watching wrestling very very current wrestling I'm mostly watching like 93 94 and you can totally see it like, oh yeah. god is so good and then so bad and like and there was the weird period in 94 where it was both right like Dustin Vader was on the same which is you know incredible is on the same that's the exact match I was I was going to refer to like in the middle of a just real Hogan-y I think setting up the butchery shitty clash you get this Dustin Vader match that is one of the best fucking angry sprints you'll ever see so good so great I just wrote, I legitimately just wrote that up for for the book. Like I, I probably finished that like a week ago. The write up for that match, so I probably watched it ten times. And yeah. it's just, it is incredible. Yeah, you know the, the main event was like I think it was I, I actually was talking to to uh, Lee, but not gonna podcast about this a couple of days because he's got a weird uh, like uh, he's got a weird relationship with the Equalizer. Uh, like he he interviewed him before he started wrestling and for like his college thesis. So we're talking. We talk, that's a weird podcast. We talk about the equalizer for like twenty minutes without nothing to do with the match we were doing. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was uh, I think it was it was Hogan, Sting, and and Evad Sullivan against yeah. Kevin Sullivan, Earthquake, and the Butcher. I mean, what a what a dog, what a the absolute nadir dog shit like main event WWE's uh, ever had. Like, uh, until you got to Russo, right? I think that was well, you know once you got to Russo, it was just unwatchable trash from bell to bell but like up until that point like that 94-ish because oh you know what's you got a little later and you got the nwo or you know got was got better certainly uh yeah. but that like period where hogan's like yeah i got i'm getting all my guys their jobs and i'm gonna feud with beefcake and you know Punk back it doesn't even seem like anybody told him he's back <laughs> so i'm not a pilot i can talk about i mean you gotta give the, that, that guy had a long, successful career of like from, and he was on autopilot for virtually all of it. Outside, as soon as he, as soon as he left cousin Jerry's uh, t- promotion in Memphis, he's like, "Yep, 
I'm not taking another fucking bump for 20 years. And again, the business being what it is, I tip my cap. Yeah, I don't want to watch it. But fucking hockey dog man's still alive, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> still alive? It'll show up at a at a convention, sign a fucking couple of, uh, you know, play the guitar. He's doing, yeah. up, he's doing fine. Playing a wonderful life. Not going to begrudge You know, it's like, you know, that was the... We, we uh, you know, there, there's some guys in early graves because we spent a lot of time praising how well, how hard they worked, right? They worked themselves right into the, right into, right into the end of it, so, you know. No, the correlation between the uh, Death Valley Driver top 500 and, and mortality. Not great. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, fuck, man, I'm a 90s guy, right? Like, I'm, 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 a gener- I'm Generation X, right? So part of me... It was certainly, as a 25-year-old wrestling fan, was a lot of, like, you know, authenticity. You oh, know? Fuck it, I was yeah. in, I lived in D.C. during the early during the early 90s, right? Like, I went to two dozen Fugazi shows. I'm not going to be the guy who's going to, like, I couldn't appreciate the fucking Honky Tonk Man. Or, you know, like, it's like, no, you got to... Look at you, it's all... Oh. I'm with you. I, I, I was in lockstep with all of those takes, but, yeah, <laughs> it's... If yeah, the anybody who was on like say the SummerSlam '90 card who could work worth a lick is dead. <laughs> Everybody who was smoking mirrors is still around. Yep, that's how it works. It's a, it's a it's a bummer. Like I said, you know, this is the theme of this podcast is in wrestling. That is yeah. not. It's not great. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's the greatest thing. But it's you the know, greatest thing. But uh, it's, it's, it's it's the dark bargain that we all exactly. Oh my god! So I love this guy. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's weird. There's still some luchadors out there who's still doing it in their 60s. Absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. There's some guys. Santo. Santo, is, Santo never mailed it in, right? Santo's, yeah. And Santo is still woke. I mean, if you see Santo now in, in, in his, you know, like his 60s probably, he'll, yeah. still, he'll still do a fucking tope and a dive on the floor. I saw Santo a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, you know, he still does it. And he still looks like Santo. And he's not a guy who, and he's a guy who would do this. You wouldn't notice a difference in his... Effort. Uh, I once saw him yeah. live in New York City in front of. I think there were seventeen people. I think I actually counted, like not counting people who were working the event. I think there were yeah. seventeen fans. Uh, and my like, I was with about five people, so I like brought I brought a large, a nice size, nice percentage of the house where like <laughs> me and Dean and like Pete Stein and Phil Rep or whatever. And it was like Santo was working like it was a tag match. It was a weird match. It was I think it was. He was tagging with Loki against Quackenbush and some guy working at El Mariachi gimmick. So it was such a weird fucking match. <laughs> but I saw him did ever. He worked as hard in that as when I saw him work in Arena Mexico. Like there was no yeah. effort difference between there's 15 people here. And I was like, oh, 15 of them are going to see me do the fucking senton rolling into a quarter post tope as fast yeah. as I can. Then all these 15 people are going to enjoy it. It's like, so he's he'd be the guy, he'd be the guy who like you know somehow yeah. made it through all of yeah. this. No, that's right. I I saw Too Cold in a uh, at a show here in L.A. two months ago, and he did. I mean, not what he would do in '93, but more than I expected. You know, we got a tumbleweed. Fucking Too Fucking current Too Cold. I'm gonna there's there there was a moment where where my ringer match this week was going to be Too Cold Scorpio versus Slim Jack, and uh, which was it like a current Too Cold Scorpio. Uh, is Car- Slim J guy. <laughs> That's a big Slim J guy. Slim J's been bucked multiple times. Slim J's like Slim J. Slim J's he'll make way the blade too as well. 
Um, oh. But they, but yeah, it's like you, the cool thing about Kurt Two Gold Scorpio is he's in that like Randy Savage in W when Randy Savage had multiple valets. Yeah. And his hip was bad. And he's like, well, I'm still going to do the fucking elbow. But yeah. you're taking all of it. Whoever's yeah. taking it. You know, whatever, you know, Joe Gomez, you're taking 100% of my weight with this elbow. And there's a good chance <laughs> you're going to crack a rib and just fuck him, Randy Savage. I can't bump on a hip anymore. And that's the way kind of two gold Scorpio. Like, he'll still do the tumble lead. And whoever's taking yeah. it's taking all of the weight on their yeah. chest and ribs and, and things. Just like, yep, survive this if you can. Yeah. It was a rough night for Effie, but I was like, <laughs> I'm sure Effie, Effie got a fucking boot in his throat and in yeah. his sternum. And, yeah. and Dual Scorpion is playing 270 now. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, <laughs> he's, he's three cold at least. Yes. Um, they worked the exact match which you would expect, which was uh, it was all about two cold stick. Just <laughs> Effie. Oh, sure. Effie's. Ambivalence, sort of fascinated by it, but afraid of it. Tried to attack it. I mean, I, one of one of wrestling's true iconic penises, two gold scorpions, right? Oh. I mean, you get the list of top five, top five iconic dick. He's in the top three. I, I've run hot and cold on on GCW, but that's the match you got to work. You book yeah. that match. That's what you want to. That's what you're gonna have to give me. This fucking. What are you guys gonna wrestle? Yeah, no. <laughs> and the guy's got an, an, an iconically large penis. It's gonna, yeah. just gonna do the. That's what you're gonna do. Yeah, and I'm sure. I'm sure if GCW booked uh, Affy Robert Fuller, and if GCW is listening, you should book Affy Robert Fuller. Uh, I think Robert, <laughs> you do the same thing, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that. Uh, fuck. Am I'm I checking that show? <laughs> am I checking cage match? The last time Robert Fuller wrestled a match, I am checking cage match. The last time Robert Fuller wrestled a match, it's probably not that long ago. I think I think Jimmy Golden is still active. Wow! Like uh, I know that Jimmy Golden was wrestling until relatively recently. Um, let's see. Robert Fuller's last match on Cage Match was 2016. So that was a, that you know Maybe. that was six years ago. But I feel yeah. like he's a guy that if you called him up and said, "I think so. I have 175 dollars." <laughs> Mostly cash. <laughs> Mostly cash, and uh, and you know you'd be sharing a uh, a days in room with uh, with Nick Wayne, but uh, but you know like I will we'll, we'll, you will fly a frontier. I think you would do it. I think I'm just saying. I think that's probably right. I'm just, I'm just kidding. You know, uh, you've got a um, um, you got my you, you you take that one for free. <laughs> Brett Lauderdale, I'm handing that one to you, gratis. Uh, next one cost you. <laughs> the next one's gonna cost you. Getting you hooked. <laughs> that one's on me. Uh, let me just because we're talking about it, your last Jimmy Golden match, 2020. Okay. 2020 again. Jimmy Golden teaming with Ron Fuller. Ron Fuller was working in 2020. Holy shit! Because Ron Fuller, I think, is Robert Fuller's older brother. That's what I thought. Wow, that is insane! I did not realize there was a 2020 Ron Fuller match. Well, okay, so I'm looking up Cajun. This may not be true, but Ron Fuller's had a match in 2020 where he teamed with Jimmy Golden against the Dirty Blondes in Dotham, Alabama, for a promotion called CCW. Um, that uh, I don't recognize any other of the names on the show. Ron Fuller's match before that. The last match cage match listed on a before 2020, can you guess? Oh, God. 
2013? No. 1989. <laughs> <laughs> the last previous Rod Fuller match before the match he had in Dotham, Alabama in 2020 was he beat Black Bart in Knoxville for in Memphis in fucking February 17th. I did. Oh, it's certainly possible that Rod Fuller was working matches in Cage Cage, which is not in, infallible, right? But uh, that is... It sounds like he promised his wife, all right, I will... Stop wrestling for three decades and three decades only. So he sits out the 90s, aughts, and 10s. 2020, immediately back. <laughs> back. Back, baby. Tennessee stud. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, it's got to be dirty. Uh, that, I mean, that's why kind of why I picked this match. I mean, I am more of a dilettante than a lot of people you talk to, but, like, I just love ugly shit in WWF. This was obviously, like, it wasn't like Dustin getting fired from WCW for blading. This was, like, all licensed by Vince and whatever, but it still is just, like, an ugliness that is not usually what they do, and it kind of makes it all the more special when you get it that way. Well, they always, they run through periods, right? Yeah. Like, you know, there was a period in, like, you know, what is it? What was your period? Your period where flare every pay per view just flare would just be bleeding near damn near half to death. Your fl- in, in WWF, yeah, like yeah, like one, yeah. So oh, like like oh six, oh six, oh seven. That's right. That was a period where they were just like, where you know, this is we're we're just gonna dive incredibly deep into just horrific blood like where Vince would like a Vince flare where his Vince is just absolutely saturated. Right, and then they won't have any blood for a while. Like they, so I mean, I mean, it feels like, and maybe at this point they're too corporate, and you just won't get it again. You won't get a period where they just decide, "Fuck it, we're going to go back and get really gross with this." Um, maybe it won't happen again, but they definitely would do things where where they would have no blading for five years, and then we're just like, "Yeah, not a sure. little." But even then, I feel like even though the, they would open things up in terms of the wrestling, the commentating was still kind of careful about it in a way that kind of just muted the effect of it. Like here, it's, you know, Gorilla and, and Ogreland are not, they're not soft peddling the blood when it happens. They're like, holy shit, this is disgusting. <laughs> Whereas I remember there, there were some really impressively violent matches between like 04 and 08, like here and there. But it was still, I think they couldn't say blood. You know? It was like this, you, there was still kind of this douchey net underneath it that kind of hurt the effect of it. Um, Oakland and, and Monsoon, what a what an iconic fucking commentating team. Those two guys are too, right? He's Oakland, you know, there wasn't a ton of Oakland. I mean, I don't, you know, Oakland is a play-by-play guy. He was obviously, you know, this incredible interviewer for so long. Yeah. That was kind of his... But he's a he's a real. I mean, they're they're both such you know garrulous you know eighties archetype. Yeah. Guy. I mean, it really is like you know, like the like two guys from like Chicago sports talk radio or something like that, or New York sports talk radio at like a drive time show. You know, like yeah. most of the time they were bitching about the Knicks, and then they're gonna come in and fucking complain about that. I mean, they have such a. There's no. There's no like. There's no straight man, and there's no real comedy person either, right? There's not a Ventura or a Heathen. It's just two kind of, you know, blowhards. You know, it's yeah. just, just excellent. Yeah, it's kind of a dudes at the bar type uh, yeah. commentating vibe. I, Okerlund, I believe, says Judas Priest as an interjection at one point. 
Judas Priest, which is just one of the most 80s possible. Oh my God, so good. I mean, it really was. Your, I think, you know, you could definitely see the shift for in a couple of years. Cause you watch, that was like a great MSG, like New York scumbag crowd, too. Like all the crowd shots were just like. Yeah. After hours or something like that, you know, just like, you know, like just a, just, a, just a slice of a particular period in New York City that you know, yeah. long gone and was going to be gone soon, and but just everybody, the ref had a real look of like you know, yeah, <laughs> the ref guy working at OTB or something like that. Yeah, just a no, he was headed nowhere good after this show. <laughs> so fucking great, so good. I mean, this is, I don't know, we. I, I, I want to say that you could just, this is a match you could just recommend to anybody, but maybe not. I mean, I, is this something you think like a, like a, like a wrestling like fan of 2022 vintage would like appreciate? Like what a person who's really into like, I don't know, like really into Dan Housen. Like what, <laughs> could they watch something like this and really be like, oh yeah, this is something I appreciate. I think it would definitely lose some people. I will say, you know, like Cody versus Dustin, certainly the AEW crowd seemed to love that. Now, you know, that has storyline weight behind it too, but like, you know, that like Dustin's matches get over, although he does do the Canadian destroyer, which I'm like, you don't need to do that, man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it would work for some people. Um, I, there is just like a, a, a base credibility to it that I think, you really have to be a very shallow wrestling fan to not like. There probably are a bunch of shallow wrestling fans who basically are like, I like, you know, gymnastics and people saying funny shit into the microphone. Like, but Memes. if you ever get off into the, the, the violence aspect of it at all, I think this just has got to speak to you, at least in a simple way. It's not like it's a 34-minute endeavor or anything. Um, right, it's not complicated. It's not a complicated match. It's not like you have to be. You don't have to. You don't have to put your spectacles on to watch it. But, no. and, but I mean, it, it's certainly ev- evocative of a thing that is not a current thing. No, and part part of what makes it, I, I think, instantly digestible also makes it a little iffy now. Which is like, oh, he's a uh, he's Iranian, and that's really bad. That's a bad thing to be. <laughs> like yeah. that's the storyline. Like you immediately can clock that, but you also clock that. Oh, well, that's what they were doing back then. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it isn't... I don't think you can... can't do... You, I don't think you can do straight jingoism in wrestling anymore. No. I, I, no, I mean, Cody... You know, Cody's promo against Anthony Agogo, I think, was kind of, like... He kind of designed it well. It's just what he was trying to accomplish was so dumb. Dumb in its bones. <laughs> like, yes. like, none of us think that stuff about America anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's not like we're gonna like the British boxer is gonna be the guy that we're gonna like, huh? Oh. Yeah. You know, I hate his exactly. is black British people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's why I consider the enemies of this country. I know. This millionaire blonde shouting gets <laughs> <laughs> in this black British guy. Fucking I saw gigs of London. <laughs> I, don't what, what, I don't know what he's trying for. Right? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm glad it kind of bombs now. I mean, and there there are still you know you can get sort of bank shot versions of it, um, and I you know I kind of like that there's still sort of visceral stuff you can use. But I'm glad it's not as just on the nose xenophobic as it used to be. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a I it, sure. I I, don't, it, I think it generally it's better that that 
this kind of thing is gone. But I mean, this kind of thing is there is something to be said for I mean, this kind yeah. of eighties. No, exactly. I mean, the rock you know, as, as a thing to watch, look back on and go, okay, yeah, very right. simple. This guy's got an American flag. This guy's got an Iranian flag. Yeah. The the Rocky Four analogy is perfect. Like, I, I you know, I, I think one would be a fool to be like, we should go back and fix Rocky Four. Like, no, <laughs> that's what we were doing back then. We were dumb and it was awesome. Going to cancel Rocky Four. Yeah, <laughs> <Cancel>. <laughs> done. Done with it. This is the part of the pod where I'm going to spend 15 minutes complaining about cancel culture. No, <laughs> and you're really, but you didn't realize that, that was what's going to happen now. We are two We're, whites in our 40s. Yeah, so. let me just talk about fucking, oh, you didn't say anything anymore. Okay. No, not, <laughs> or, was that even okay? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Can't like Sergeant Slaughter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, uh, you know, I don't know. In some ways... Uh, I mean, like I said, wrestling at it, its best is, 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 I mean, you know, there isn't a way to look back at the wrestling that we grew up on with any sort of critical eye of two people who are interested in, in things, in equality for people. And, no, you know, no. I mean, I, I've said this before, but, you know, I, I consider, I consider myself, so I, I've got a daughter, I've got a wife who I try to treat very respectfully, but, you know, my, my childhood idols were... T- I grew up on Too Short and Ric Flair, and it's a that's a rough that's yeah. a rough starting point for those as your masculine role models, right? Like yeah. freaky <laughs> tales, and but you know you get you, you grow and you learn and you get past things and you sort yeah. of evolve as a person. But certainly you it's you can't look back. You know, it's a good thing Dick Murdoch doesn't have Twitter. You know what I yeah. mean? Like in some ways, like it, it, the fact is that you know you learn the more you learn about how dumb and, and oh. gross wrestlers are. You're just like, oh man, I, I hate to say it because I am so fond of him and I don't wish ill on anybody. But the worst thing Ric Flair ever did was not die like twenty years ago. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is some, there is some, like he just, you know. David Bowie did worse things than Ryan Adams. Yes, uh, but you know, it's just there's a point where where point where David Bowie lived long. You know, there was a point where he passed pa- past yeah. the point where we were going to look to askance who yeah. exactly was in his hotel room in 1982. Exactly. Uh, in a way that we just are unwilling to do that now, and which is good, right? You know, yeah. fed, God, I fed, this isn't this isn't the Rogan. I'm not. This isn't the Barry Weiss part of the podcast where I'm going to fucking complain about how we judge people. But there is something to be said. Like there is a, a distance to it. And yeah, Flair and uh, you know, we don't. I don't. Flair, you're right. If Flair died in in 1996 or something like that, yeah. he wouldn't have to still be alive where the reckoning was coming for him. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, it's just it's so rough to to watch. But I mean, <laughs> arguably, he should get to live, even if I'm not enjoying watching it. <laughs> that could be argued. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's always there's always like I think you could probably play a game. It's like what is the best? What would have been the best point for this person to die? I will say, uh, look, if we're doing if we're doing this, okay, do it. fuck it. it. We're 54 minutes in. I think the people. Who are going to be offended by this and right. stop listening right. right now? I'll tell you who nailed it. Kobe Bryant. <laughs> oh, my God. He, there was, a reevaluation was coming. It will never come now. They That's just right. created a new award for, like, teammate generosity. 
called the Kobe Bryant Award. He's, he was <laughs> famously <laughs> generous to <even> Kobe Bryant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Death was tragic, obviously. It's Not very sad. But he was an image, he was a PR master, and this was his masterpiece. Right. At some point, somebody was going to go back. At some point, somebody was going to revisit Denver. And yes. and, and he did. they aren't now. They aren't now. <laughs> They never will. They never will. So yeah, you're right. He was somebody who really, because you know, yeah, it's yeah. Obviously, you want people to live a long, happy life. But yes, he was right at the point. Yes, six yep. more months, and it would have been Again, bad. Not talking life. about human beings, just talking about iconography. Iconography maxed out that icon. Right. right. I mean, Cobain is obviously a perfect example too, right? Like, yep. I don't, I don't think. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Two. I mean, Tupac was another one. I. We, the fact was, he recorded a lot of music. Yeah. Uh, when he was in jail, in in uh, and to pay off the money that Suge Knight gave him uh, for his legal defense, and as tool one, that music is all trash. And when it was released posthumously, it does like people weren't judging it. But if like Tupac had released seven albums over the course of seven years, and they were those seven albums, yeah, I think you know he's not. Yeah, he's not no, remembered I, as fondly. Like ten years ago, where like the contents of Kurt Cobain's wallet came out or something. And it was just kind of these like notes to himself and they were just kind of misogynistic and shitty. And it was like, we collectively threw it back. We were like, <laughs> let's not learn this about him. Forget it. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We're going to, I'm going to remember the, I'll remember the, the moment and then, you know, yeah, I can do it. Uh. <laughs> um, I, one final thing about this match sort of is um, <laughs> that it scratches an itch that I don't get here locally i go to pwg and i i go to other shows occasionally um and it's a good it's a good scene here in socal like i'm glad to have it you know whatever but there just is no there's no southern tinge there's no ugliness like there's some hardcore stuff but it's not hateful hardcore it's just sort of like yes we will go there hardcore which is not my thing right it's Uh, like david jackass hardcore right where it's like oh man that was crazy that that guy did that. Not like this guy's going to try to kill this you, guy because like, he hates him. You feel like, and sometimes it even happens that they hug after. Right. And I'm like, well, that's not what I came here for. <laughs> so I just, I, I gravitate to, I mean, and obviously your entire book and podcast are about matches like this. But um, part of the reason that I, this match sticks so fondly in my head is just, it's the, it like, this is, kind of a distillation of what I don't get when I go to shows here. Um, yeah, Super Dragon would bring it, but that's been a long time. That was, that was everything. He was, he was the scene. He was, I mean, it really is, um, the scene lost a little of its juice for me when he went out because he was always, he hated everybody. <laughs> you always felt like he had such contempt for his opponent that it, felt a little dangerous in an exciting way. Yeah, I am I am not a PWG guy for the most part. Yeah. Um historically. I mean, there's some obviously like anything there's stuff I like, but that's not but you know he he would be the guy. It's like, well, I got to see what super. I was very excited when he came back and they didn't actually come back. I uh, think he's just so beat up now that he <laughs> he wants to come back and then like he's just not healthy enough to make the comeback that he did the last minute appearance to set up. Yeah. Um, that was very disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. people were like, it was like, oh man, this next card is so good. It's like, no, where's fucking Super Dragon? I, I don't care about you know. They're bringing back Davy Richards. No, where's Super Dragon? That I, you, like, I like. She Davey. showed up and kicked some guy. You know, I don't want to see him fucking. I know. 
I, you know, I like Davy Fine. Davy is not a suitable replacement for Super. Oh. Yeah. No, I. You know, I. I'm not like I, I. I believe I'm probably more open to sort of lighthearted wrestling as a sort of like an element in the mix than you might be. But Super Dragon was a like very necessary counterweight to that on PWG cards, and without him. There, there just isn't quite enough. Like Trevor Lee, when he was there, was a piece of shit in a very useful way and like gave a little bit of weight to it. But right now it's like the last show I went to, it just ended. There were a couple like Alex Shelley played heel a little bit, but like not. It was more like, let's have a silly match. And then at the end, Bandito said he hoped everybody would have a great Christmas. <laughs> and <I was> like, <laughs> this was too friendly. <laughs> like, yeah, you need to. You need a little bit of. You need to get the sense that there's a little bit of like. Yeah, I mean, everybody at PWG seems like they're great people. Yeah, like I, I don't want to come out of a wrestling show being like, you know, there were no pieces of shit in that building. Yeah. I want them to be. I only want them to be in a ring. I don't want. I don't want like asshole fans or anything. But I do want to feel like something. People- <laughs> there, there are a couple. Of, there, are, there are definitely some neo Nazis sprinkled among the fucking crowd. If you, yeah. <laughs> there are definitely there are a hundred percent some pieces of shit in those PWG oh, shows. No. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah. They. They are. Checking that box outside the ring. I would rather they do it. Under, I mean, famous Nazis, right? Don't you guys have like, like those, like, aren't your fucking hat guys like legit Nazis? Is that the way it works in PWG? <laughs> there are, there have, they, they really. It was very smooth sailing crowd wise for a while. Like they just had uniformly great crowds. The last like three shows, there have been some ugly little things. So I'm not sure what they're going to do about it. Like. Uh, I, you know, Excalibur has chewed them out and stuff. Like, I, I think they are not, because they can, like, sell so many more tickets than they can fit in the building, they could be choosy and just ban a bunch of people. I think they might end up starting to try to do that. I, I think know. that's the thing you do, right? I mean, I don't know. Just, oh, yeah. Just no, ban I, some people. It's fucking fine. I mean, yeah. you have the right to attend a wrestling show. You dick oh, about yeah. it. Fucking do something else with your time. I mean, like, forum vets know the move. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. At some point, you just ban them. And, and sure, Rob Feinstein's going to show back up on DVDR <laughs> at 2 in the morning and fucking, you know, post dick pics. And then you just have to delete them all in the morning. and just got to do it. But know? again, yeah. Sometimes they don't flush the first time, but you gotta <laughs> keep flushing. I, uh, yeah, so I spent a, a good portion of my twenties doing. I would show up at whatever temp job I would, and just be like, "All right, oh fuck, I gotta spend fifteen minutes instead of doing the temp work. I gotta just delete uh, Rob <laughs> Rob Feinstein. Got went on a coke binge and spam the board again. All right, I'll talk. I gotta get the, delete all three hundred of these posts." How sad is it that I hear that? I'm like, those were the days. That was it. The green board, man. Fuck it. You, that's, you know, you, you've become a Twitter icon. But, you know, there's, there's still, it was the, the message boards were, you know, Twitter. Message boards. Sad, a sad uh, approximation of the greatness oh. of a oh. fucking green green message board. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just <laughs> when, when. He, the consensus was that I beat JDW in an argument. Oh. <laughs> yeah. right. You've had some highs in your career, right? You know, like, oh, but, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, I, I wrote the Michael, I, I put five great jokes in the, the office episode where Michael uh, tells the kids he's going to give them college scholarships, but nothing was like, like an out arguing Boston Idol on a goddamn Kobashi match and fucking. <laughs> Jesus. I will have you know, Phil, I only worked on the acclaimed post-Corel seasons of the <laughs> Oh, okay. 
Thomas Jane's show, fi- show really kind of found its footing. <laughs> Legendary, famously found its footing when you replaced. I mean, I uh, how was James Spader to work with? Seems like he was a good guy. I would say he speaking was. Speaking of happy. '80s icons, speaking yeah. of famous '80s trash, speaking of cocaine. Yes, I would say he was exactly what you would think he was, oh, which is you know C plus maybe like <laughs> kind of. <laughs> oily <laughs> and narcissistic but like i mean i would come home being like wow i just saw a spader fucking spader it up <laughs> no, I, I i i will i will come out come out straight say at one point uh about a during during the pan during pandemic times i did a straight up uh binge of the blacklist i watched every episode of it i was like i never watched this I need something to do while I'm while I'm uh, out of a corner of my eye when I'm uh, evaluating law school files, which is one of the other things I do for a living. Uh, I'm just going to watch all fucking seven seasons of The Blacklist. Now, I have never seen an episode of The Blacklist. What would you say is the right number of episodes for me to watch? I mean, it's not all seven seasons. Okay. Uh, but look, zero. so no, it's not zero either. It's hundred okay. percent not zero. Look, the, the blacklist is a show. I that I. It is, you know. So were you somebody who liked Alias? Yes. So the, it's okay. So the, I'm going to claim that the blacklist. It's as it's, it's like Alias. In the fact, that it's very dumb. Yeah. Right. But the fact, but instead of Jennifer Garner, it's James Spader. In like where they basically said. James, no notes. Just do it. <laughs> you go out there and just do. You're going to give a a, a 14 minute speech about Saint Francis of Assisi, and then you're going to shoot a fucking guy in the head. And and like it is. It's hard to be dis. Okay, so if you come in with that, this is a dumb show like Alias, except it's got Spader on eleven every episode. Then you will absolutely will 100 percent not be disappointed in it. That's a good pitch. All right. Uh, I mean, it's a show where it's a show where uh, it's a show where um, Diane Weiss uh, plays uh, Sister Jean Prejean, who's the 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 nun in yeah. So plays a character based on her, who uh, when somebody is wrongfully accused, uh, executed on death row, she finds the the policeman and shoots him in the head. <laughs> That's an episode of the fucking spoiler alert. When you get to that episode where Diane Weiss shows up, that that is her character. That she's basically this this saintly death row activist who's the way to deal with the justice system is like this guy's been imprisoned for ten years unjustly. I'm going to tape the judge and lock him in a barn. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. That's a that's a sale. That's Alan a sale. Alden's on that show. Is that true? Yeah, all the shows up for, as a as like a, a head of a secret government cabal. The places and, they put old actors, I man, swear. And I'm so I'm going to do this, and it hasn't been. I mean, they are really. They, I mean, the plot of the blacklist. We're spoiling. I'm spoiling the blacklist here, guys. Spoiler alert for the blacklist. An hour into this podcast, by Professor Roslin. Yeah, just systematically <laughs> reviewing. Like removing listener by listener. <laughs> I'm, I'm walking the room. I'm walking the fucking room with my buddy Owen. Um, so, so the plot of I mean, you probably seen enough of, of the black of the blacklist commercials while watching something else to get the gist of the blacklist is that he is a international criminal mastermind who turns himself into the FBI and has a 
weird relationship with a female FBI agent where it's unclear what's going on, right? So now they've got to this point where that actress has left the show. She, and they killed her character. I mean, we're talking about eight seasons and they killed her. Without ever 100% revealing what the relationship is. But what it seems like they definitely did. Like, there was a point where it's like, oh, he's her father. But it turns out he's not her father. What it, what it apparently is, and I, this, I think, is Blacklist Candle. They have not explicitly said it. Is that James Spader is playing the trans mother of this character. <laughs> that, that James Spader in this show is canonically transgendered and somebody who is a Russian, female Russian spy who needed to then uh, who needed to then transition to avoid being assassinated by, by the uh, co- shadowy cabals of international criminals and spies who were looking for. And they haven't said it, but they've said enough that that is clearly what they're doing. So you, we we st- if you want to stand a trans hero, it's Spader in the blood. It's season seven of the Blacklist. They decided that that was where they were going with this. That's one where, I, and I think very legitimately in terms of representation and stuff, every year they hold off on that reveal, the uglier it gets. <laughs> They're having a, a cis man play a trans man. <laughs> yes. They maybe should just kind of sneak that one out quick. <laughs> I mean, I think they've at this point they like it's season eight. I mean, it's like you know, yeah, they're going to reveal it in season nine of the Blacklist. They the whole point of this show was this relationship between the dog, the the woman and the guy. They killed the woman. The woman left the show. I don't know to do what. It's not like I don't. Did she have other offers? Is she doing other? Is she moving to movies? I don't know. Eagerly casting the female lead of the Blacklist and something else, but she decided she was had enough. She wanted to go, uh, you know, have, start a family or something. And she's dead. They killed her, and they still haven't actually revealed the reveal of the reveal, right? Lou, the Luke, I am your father moment still hasn't happened yet. But it's almost assuredly that this that uh, that James Spader is 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 a, is a trans man. Wow. <laughs> so maybe you don't need to watch it now, but I'm telling you, if you need something to put on television when you are doing something else. You, I do not you, recommend giving 100% of your attention to the There's nothing crueler to do to a parent of young children than to increase their TV backlog. That's <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I know you wanted to watch Top of the Lake. Uh, <laughs> Campion's about to win an Oscar, and you feel like you need to catch up on both seasons at Top of the Lake. But what I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I'm, jeez, I'm, on that note. Owen, do we have anything else that we feel like we need to cover on Sergeant Slaughter Iron Cheek? I don't think we've talked about it for 20 minutes. Uh, I would think if anybody listens to the Way of the Blade, expect me to talk for the full hour about the fucking match. Yeah, no. no um, I think Steve Kern talked about his Moondog match for about four minutes. And then just... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't listened to that one yet. I'm oh here. my god, Steve Kern. Who actually, who is weirdly you would think would be a piece of shit, but actually is like the most genuine, one of the more genuinely pleasant people I've ever had any interactions with in my life. Like for a guy you think like it's like a guy with Skinner, right? How could he not be? Yeah, no, I, I he him and Eaton was bad attitude, right? That was a bad attitude. his yes. last kind of national run, I think. Yes, bad attitude. But he, he was, yeah, he was a great piece of shit. But but like a, a delight a delightful pleasant guy. But yes, I if you're gonna listen to one episode of my podcast, I think the one the singular episode to listen to is the Steve Kern episode. Wow! Like even over Dustin or Tony Khan or or, or me and you. Wow. Uh, now uh, you're just burying most of your guests. No, I love them all. 
Look! Look what I've done to you. <laughs> they are all. Every single person I've had on the podcast has been a, a, a delight and a pleasure to talk to. I haven't. I haven't had a single dud. Yeah. Uh, or maybe I should say everybody's been great except one, and then just let that be a mystery. That's great. That's great. <laughs> I used to have a. I used to have somebody used to like a, a friend of mine used to uh, introduce his email like group emails to my friends and one enemy. <laughs> So they should do it like that. Like uh, everybody's been great except one, and it's been horrible. And who knows? Yeah. Um, but yes, we have, I don't think we have anything else to say about Slaughter Sheik. I think we covered it. It's it's great. It's awful and great and yeah, evocative and beautiful. And Iron Sheik is gross, uh, and Slaughter is gross, and it's you know. Uh, yeah. What's a representation of what's wrong with this country and what's right about it, and on both things at once? Yes, it's the '80s in all its naked, ugly glory. Yeah. And if you think you're better than it, you're wrong. <laughs> it is. It is. If you know, if Halber Stam wrote a book about the 1980s, it could just be a review of this match. That's right. That's uh, right. <laughs> uh, oh, do you, I guess you don't have? Do you have something to plug? You can plug your 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 uh, your delightful Twitter account. Uh, I'm at O N L X N. Uh, not monetized, but uh, yeah, not monetized. Have you considered monetizing it? How insane would that be? I'll, <laughs> I'm going to push the show Yellow Jackets, to which I have no affiliation. It's so <laughs> fucked up. I love it. <laughs> and you said you 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 do you have any like current uh, project? What projects? If people uh, wanted to, if people could watch the, the 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 maligned final seasons of The Office, oh, is the guy who decided yep. that the cameraman was going to show up? That was his call. He said I, we should bring the cameraman in. I I wrote I wrote the episode with the debut of the cameraman. The <laughs> nail. It was it was a slow motion cover. <laughs> it played how I expected it to play. Um, I will push. You know, for one brief year in 2014, Yahoo thought they could make television. They turned out to be wrong, but I got to run a show that Paul Feig created called Other Space, a weird space comedy where uh, I asked if everybody could be bisexual, and they said yes, because I figured in the future, why not? Why wouldn't everybody be bi? I mean, everybody's going to be bisexual in about 10 years, right? It's not even yeah. going to be that in the future. I, probably everybody that young, younger than me is already there, and I'm the last guy. Sort in of, my experience, every every single friend of mine who has teenage children has at least one bisexual teenage show. Yeah. Every and, single one of them. And I, I self-select with some, you know, you know, egg-headed liberal uh, parents who are going to be supportive sure. of whatever's going on with their kids, but that is my experience is... They, you know. I mean, the case for bisexuality seems pretty slam dunk. Why not, no, right? No, sure. I can't, <laughs> I, can't, I probably can't get past all of my fucked up, the fucked up toxic masculinity that I grew up. I grew up in the period of slaughter's week. I can't get past it. Oh, exactly. And I, I mean, at this point, I'm too old and married, so it's not a thing. But, you know, sure. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're done. Sorry, fellas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> off, the, off the market, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys are listening to this and thinking, those two. Those two. <laughs> Say those two forty-year-old guys with beards. Anyway, if it's possible to watch the show Other Space, I'm not a hundred percent convinced it is. But go give it a look. That was okay. a and you said you did like an HBO uh, something. Uh, I just worked on season two of a show called Ten Year Old Tom. Uh, I don't know when season two is going to air, but season one is out. I didn't work on season one, but it's very funny. And I worked on a show called Rutherford Falls uh, on Peacock. Season two of that. It's coming sooner, but I don't know when. These streaming things are just these mysterious giants that float along and shit something out every once in a while. <laughs> right. You have to tell everybody all of a sudden. But 
both were lovely experiences, lovely people. Watch Rutherford Falls in 10-year-old time. I, am, uh, I have a book, uh, Wave of Blade. It is available on Amazon. I have a, a blog, Suguda Kaida, that I am slowly backing away from as now I'm being paid to write for wrestling. And I'm being paid to write for wrestling, uh, the rigor every Monday, uh, for now. Uh, and hopefully in the future, but I have three of them out, and, I, and they are all pretty good. And so please uh, check that out, and uh, we will be back next week with another episode of Way of the Blade.